Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. Well, good morning, High Point. It is good to be with you this morning. In preparation for today's message, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be reading from there in just a minute. But before we get started, let me start by asking you if you have ever seen the movie Braveheart. Braveheart was a film that starred Mel Gibson. He played a 13th century Scottish commoner named William Wallace. Based on a true story of how Wallace led his countrymen to freedom from the oppressive rule of, the, of England. And he was driven by his own sense of destiny as well as personal loss, and he led a ragtag group of farmers and villagers to defeat their vicious oppressors. The turning point in the story came at the Battle of Stirling, where Wallace and his troops were vastly outnumbered. And upon seeing this huge, well-equipped English force standing before them, many of the men began to flee even before the battle started. Well, it's at this point where Wallace rides in on his horse and he makes this passionate speech that, to inspire his little band of brothers to fight for what they believed in. And I don't know if you recall the most uh, remembering part of that speech, but they were very poignant words that he used to tell them to fight for what they believe in. And his, his famous words were, they may take our lives, but they can never take away our freedom. Well, that speech inspired the Scots to rally behind him, and they won the first major victory in this war of turning the tide against the English. Now, there were a lot of good reasons to watch and to enjoy that film, but I think what is most compelling can be summed up in one word, and it's the word courage. You see, it is courage that led Wallace to fight for freedom, no matter what it cost him personally. And courage is something that appeals to all of us. I believe every human being admires courage. We are always moved by someone who carries the conviction that, that there is some good thing worth living for, and yes, even dying for. And I bring all this up because as we continue in our series called The Standard, which is about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, also referred to as the Beatitudes, well, it becomes clear to me that it takes courage to live by them. In fact, there are millions of people whose deepest conviction is that living for Jesus is worth dying for. And so with that in mind, let's read from the fifth chapter of Matthew. We'll be reading verses 10 through 12 today. The scriptures say, and these are Jesus' words, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Now, I want you to keep your Bibles open to this book of Matthew because before we go any further, I want to point out some very interesting characteristics regarding this particular beatitude. First of all, I want you to note that Jesus gives more space to this one than he does any of the other previous that we have studied. There are actually three full verses here instead of just one short phrase. And not only that, but he personalizes this particular beatitude as well. In all the others, Jesus refers to blessed people in the third person, but in this one, he uses a second person. In this scripture, he says, blessed are you instead of blessed are those. Another thing for you to note is this is the only beatitude that includes a command to rejoice and be glad. And it's the only one also that has an explanation. Jesus tells us why we are persecuted, but he also tells us why we should respond with joy and gladness. And one last thing I want you to note is this. This is the only beatitude that is repeated. Twice, Jesus says, people who embrace this principle of discipleship are blessed. It's as if our Lord is saying to us, you are doubly blessed when you are persecuted. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Doesn't that sound a little bit odd to you? Have you ever felt singly, much less doubly blessed by persecution? Have you ever considered yourself especially fortunate because you were being ridiculed in some way? Did you ever think to yourself, hot dog, I, someone just insulted me because of my faith? Well, to help us understand this interesting paradox, I, I want to point out three things to you this morning. First, I, I want you to note that Jesus says the persecution in the life of a Christian is a reality. In other words, Jesus says it's going to happen. When he says, blessed are you, or excuse me, he says, blessed are you, not if you are persecuted. He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted. And I think this is one of the reasons that he put this into the second person. In my mind, Jesus personalized this beatitude as if to say, persecution for being a Christian is not relegated to some impersonal group of people. It's something that will happen to you. Now, last week, we studied the prior verse about blessed are the peacemakers. And we learned about the applause that comes from heaven when we strive to make peace in the midst of conflict. And it's interesting to me that Jesus would move straight from talking about peacemaking to talking about persecution. It might seem odd that he would go from harmony to hostility. But like I said, not all attempts at reconciliation last week we talked about succeed. No matter how hard we try to make peace with someone else, there are some people who will refuse to live at peace with you. And in this beatitude, Jesus refers to these harmony-hating people. In essence, our Lord is saying that if you follow him, there are people in this fallen world who are not going to approve of your lifestyle choice. They're not going to like it at all. Jesus is telling us that if we live by these beatitudes, we can expect some people to be upset enough to give us a hard time. And here's the reality of all of this. If we live according to the first seven beatitudes that we've covered, we will automatically experience the blessing of this eighth beatitude. It's one of those if-then deals. 
If you are a person who lives out the truths of verses 3 through 9, then you will also be a person who will experience the persecution that is mentioned in verses 10 through 12. For example, if you are poor in spirit, some will rebuke you and say that you are just being self-righteous. When you mourn over sin, then others will feel uncomfortable when they embrace their own sinful actions, and therefore they're not going to want you around. If you are meek, then prepare yourself for others to try to run over you in this proud, self-centered world of ours. When you break out of the status quo and you hunger and thirst for God above all other things, some will label you as a religious fanatic. Some will call you a Jesus freak. If you're merciful these days, a lot of people will call you gullible. If you strive to be pure in heart, you will feel the rebuke of a world that thrives on lust, a world that uses sex to sell everything from perfume to automobiles. Work to be a peacemaker and get ready for war because this world in which you live in embraces conflict. They thrive on conflict. Jesus is pointing out the reality here that if you live a Christian life, you will endure persecution and you will endure hardship. He's saying that there is a cost to be paid for following him. You see, living for Jesus makes people stand out. And this world doesn't like people who stand out, particularly those who are Christians. Think of it like this. A person living out his or her faith is foreign to the principalities and powers of this world of ours. So growing Christians are continually attacked in this fallen world. In his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer referred to this reality as the extraordinariness of the Christian life. And this is what he said. With every beatitude, the gulf is widened between the disciples and the people and their call to come forth from the people, becomes increasingly manifest. People don't like people who come forth. End of his quote. In other words, they resist people who live counterculturally. The fact is, if you live, and what I mean by that, if you really live the Christian life, if you strive to become more like Jesus, some form of persecution is inevitable. It's a reality. It is going to happen. Persecution is as normal in a genuine discipleship as mercy is. But the Sermon on the Mount isn't the only place where Jesus taught this. He repeatedly told his followers that that they could expect hardship, that they could expect difficulties. In his commentary on this text, William Barclay writes, one of the outstanding qualities of Jesus was his sheer honesty. He never left men in any doubt as to what would happen to them if they chose to follow him. He was clear that he had not come to make life easy, but to make men great. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus did not teach a prosperity gospel, but rather a persecution gospel. And I wish many of our TV evangelists would get this through their heads. He said it so often, and he said it so plainly. And here's a few scriptures to support what I'm saying. Listen to these words of Jesus. In John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
In Luke 14, 27, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. In Matthew 24, 9, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And then in 2 Timothy 3.12, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul sums it all up. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Over and over and over again, Jesus taught the reality that Christians will face difficulty simply for being a Christian. In fact, he gets very specific in this beatitude. In, In this particular beatitude, he says that we can expect verbal insults, false accusations, and intense persecution. And that is exactly what has happened for 2,000 years, beginning with his first followers, 11 of the 12 which were martyred for their faith. Only John died an old man while in exile on the island of Patmos. History also shows us how that the early Christians received the same kind of treatment as the disciples did. They were persecuted by Roman emperors like Nero. Nero was the emperor who blamed Jesus' followers for the burning of Rome. And so to punish them, he began to throw them to the lions. He hung them on poles and doused them with oil before setting them on fire of all things to illuminate the paths of his beautiful gardens. Unless you think that kind of persecution is a thing of the past, listen to this. In her book, The Lion's Den, author Nina Shea reports that more Christians have been martyred for their faith in this century alone than in the previous 19 centuries of church history combined. Right now, according to Open Doors, over 260 million Christians live in countries where they experience high levels of persecution, with many being arrested for assembling together. Last year, 2,983 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons. Last year, 9,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked or destroyed, while 3,711 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And the sad reality is that our world pays absolutely no attention to these facts. Even most Christians Ignore the truth that around the world, their brothers and sisters in the faith are being persecuted and tortured and killed. Former Congressman Frank Wolf, a committed Christian from the state of Virginia, has been been an outspoken advocate for international human rights over the past 30 plus years. After visiting hot spots of persecution and human rights abuses throughout the world, he was once asked if America, especially the churches in America, if they were failing the oppressed people of the world. And here's how he replied. I meet many people from around the world who are baffled and concerned that the West doesn't seem to be interested in their plight. Three nuns from Iraq just came to my office. They said they feel abandoned. Half the Christian community in Iraq is now living in ghettos in Damascus, Lebanon, and Jordan. The United States has given the Egyptian government over $50 billion since the late 1970s, and yet the Coptic Christians have been persecuted during that time. If you're a Coptic Christian in Egypt, you can't get a government job, you can't be in the military. They wonder why the church in the West hasn't spoken out. In China, you have roughly 30 Catholic bishops who have been arrested. 
You have hundreds of Protestant pastors and house church leaders being imprisoned and persecuted. The church in Sudan has suffered persecution. In southern Sudan, 2.1 million people have died, mainly Christians, but also some Muslims and some animists. I had one woman tell me, he said, the West seems more interested in saving the whales than in saving us. And shame on us for sliding our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to constantly lift them up in our prayers and ask for God's protection over them. You know, maybe you have or maybe you have not had to pay a price for your faith in Christ yet, but if you strive to be more like Jesus, you will. John MacArthur put it this way, every faithful believer will have some resistance and ridicule from the world, while others, for God's own purposes, will endure extreme suffering. The fact is, it has even come here to the good old tolerant United States of America, where people suffer simply because they strive to follow Jesus Christ. I watched actor Jim Caviezel being interviewed. As you know, he played the part of Jesus in that movie, The Passion of the Christ, which was 16 years ago. Caviezel said that before he accepted the job in that role, director Mel Gibson had a talk with him and explained to him that this could cost him his career. But Caviezel, who was a confessing Christian, wanted to honor his Lord by portraying both his life and his death. Caviezel responded to Gibson by saying, we all have a cross to carry. I have to carry my own cross. If we don't carry our crosses, we are going to be crushed under the weight of them. Well, as it turned out, Caviezel's decision to carry the the cross of Christ in that movie definitely cost him career opportunities. Following his role in The Passion of the Christ way back in 2004, Caviezel's credits have been anything but impressive. For years, he was not offered any significant roles. Things did change in the fall of 2011 when he landed a role in the CBS television series called Person of Interest. Caviezel says he doesn't worry about the career price that he paid by being a part of The Passion of the Christ which, by the way, was a global box office smash. But it also led to fewer and not more opportunities for Caviezel. He said, the awards, the Hall of Fame that the actors get here on this earth don't matter to me. He says, my reward will come in heaven. Caviezel also said, Jesus is as controversial now as he's ever been. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. We have to give up our names, our reputations, and our lives to to speak the truth. The fact is, persecution for our faith is a reality, ladies and gentlemen. What Jesus said would happen has happened, and it continues to happen. Well, in this beatitude, Jesus also tells us the reason we will be persecuted. And it's important that we understand this because it is possible to suffer persecution for the wrong reasons. And listen listen clearly to me on this. What I mean is that some Christians are ostracized because they are rude, because they're obnoxious people. Some believers are ridiculed because they are as self-righteous and holier than now than the Pharisees of Jesus' day. The sad fact is that some Christians are persecuted not for their Christianity, but instead for their lack of it. And others are persecuted because their soul-winning methods are crude and they're disrespectful. 
I remember one day I was in downtown Lansing, Michigan, walking to an appointment when I came upon a man on the sidewalk screaming as the people walked by. He was preaching at the top of his lungs about how every one of them was going to burn in hell and how they needed to get right with God. His face was contorted and his voice was very angry. And though he was correct, that I'm sure there were many people walking by him that day who needed to get things right with God, I thought to myself, you will never win someone to Jesus Christ by doing it that way. Listen, when we shove the gospel down people's throats in an angry, unloving way, we can expect to be scorned. And I think we deserve to be. I was once at lunch with a friend and, a, and a, another pastor who decided to start witnessing to our waitress. It was a lunchtime in a very crowded restaurant in a downtown area of a major metropolitan city, and this poor girl was slammed with tables literally full of customers. And though I appreciate the boldness and, and truly the genuine concern that my friend had for her salvation, this was not the time to do it. And yet she was so gracious in dealing with his attempts to keep her at the table long enough to listen to him. Listen, I think you all know how I feel about soul winning. It is a command from Christ, and it's something that we should all be doing. But how you do it makes all the difference in the world. Jesus never forced anyone to follow him. And guess what? You and I can't do that either. Well, then, you know, you have Christians who have a hard time with life simply because they continue to live in sin. They ignore God's loving laws. And when the painful consequences of their sin comes forth, they say things like, why did God allow this to happen to me? Well, their difficulty, their, their persecution isn't God's fault. It's their fault. They sinned. They chose to disobey God. And Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 4.15 when he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Have you been persecuted for meddling before? Well, let's make something clear, very clear about this beatitude. Jesus is not saying that people who suffer for any of these wrong reasons are blessed. They are not to be congratulated. The kind of people that he promises to bless are those who suffer for righteousness' sake. They are people who live out the principles of these beatitudes, people who suffer because they identify themselves with our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for the right reason. People who suffer because by God's grace are determined to live as I lived. In his commentary on this text, Williams Wearsby writes, we must be careful to distinguish between punishment and persecution. We are punished by good men for doing evil and persecuted by bad men for doing good. The persecution that Jesus is talking about here is the persecution that comes as the result of our professing to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when we stand up and we graciously say, I do not believe that is right. When everybody else is saying that it is right. When you do that, you are going to have resistance. And it often comes in the form of persecution and rebuke. Remember in John 15, 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John Piper writes, if you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love of free sex. 
If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement against the love of alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict excess eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. If you speak with compassion, you will throw callousness into sharp relief. If you are earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. If you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. You understand what Jesus is saying about righteous living? As long as you go with the flow, you will have no problems. But the moment you go against the flow, you can expect that persecution will come in one form or another. Let me give you some examples. If you go with the flow and you say that Christianity is just one of many paths to God, you'll be applauded. Just ask Oprah Winfrey. But unlike Oprah, the moment that you say, I believe the Bible is the absolute truth and that it is the sole source of authority for life, and that it teaches us that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, well, then you will go, when you go against the flow this way, you're going to be reviled. If you go with the flow and you preach the message that God would never pour out his wrath or ever consign someone to eternal damnation, you'll be applauded. But the moment you stand up and you go in the other direction, by preaching a message about the necessity of repentance and that the gate to the kingdom of God is a very narrow gate and that Jesus is the only door to that gate, well, then you are going to be tagged as a judgmental bigot. I can't help but think of Russell Voigt, the current director of the White House Management and Budget Office. I don't know Mr. Voigt. I never even heard of him until I saw him being questioned during his nomination hearings and in a way that ridiculed him for for his Christian faith. Voigt was a graduate of Wheaton College, which is a Christian college, and he was heavily criticized for defending the college's firing of a professor who claimed that Muslims and Christians worship the same God. Our dear friend, Bernie Sanders, ruthlessly berated this man for his Christian convictions and his belief that those who do not accept Jesus Christ are ultimately condemned. And then Sanders says, what about the Jews? I'm a Jew. He had a problem with the most basic tenet of faith of Christianity, that the only way to salvation was through Christ Jesus. And that example leads me to ask, what does being a Christian have to do with the fact that this man can can work in the White House and control a budget? I mean, if he was a person who was notoriously bad at math, then yeah, he shouldn't have the job. But what does his faith have to do with this whole scenario? But let me stop at this point and say, when we see Christians enduring hardship, it's so easy to slip into an us versus them mentality. When we are hated, it is very easy for us to hate back. But that's just going with the flow. And that's just what the world teaches us to do. Remember, our persecutors are victims. They are not the enemy. They are people who Jesus died for. And he commands us to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors. So to review, in this final beatitude, Jesus tells us the reality of persecution. Then he tells us 
the reason for persecution, but Jesus also tells us our response to persecution. In verse 12, he says we are to rejoice and be glad. And in the Greek, that phrase literally means to jump and skip with glee and excitement. How can Jesus say that? How can he say when you are insulted and slandered and even forced to face death because of me to rejoice? Well, the fact is there are several reasons to rejoice during times of persecution. First, the fact that we are being persecuted often shows that we are growing. We are being more Christ-like. Persecution that comes from righteous living is like a litmus test that shows that we are walking down that narrow path, the go-against-the-sinful-grain path of this world. Think of it this way. If you lived in 1862 and you were opposed to slavery and you found yourself fighting on the side of the guys in the navy blue uniforms, not simply because you lived in a particular area of the country, but because you believed that slavery of any human being was wrong and sinful, then you would know you were on the right side. Being persecuted in this godless world is like a thermometer. It shows us how much we are being like Jesus. Well, secondly, We also rejoice in times of persecution because our bold response shows the depth of our faith. It shows that we are following Christ's example whenever we respond to persecution in obedience to scriptural commands. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Romans 12, 17, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. You see, when we sing God's praises, even in tough times, this world and the people within it, they notice. In 2005, Chinese officials of the Public Security Bureau, they burst into a Sunday school at a local church. They found 30 children inside, and they herded herded them all into a van. And despite the scary situation, one child started to sing, and eventually the whole van was filled with singing. And upon arrival at the police station, the children marched bravely into the interrogation room, still singing to the Lord. The Chinese official, official attempted to have these children write on paper, I do not believe in Jesus. And he told them that they had to ride it a hundred times before they would be released. Well, instead of obeying, the children wrote, I believe in Jesus today, I'll believe in Jesus tomorrow, and I will believe in Jesus forever. Exasperated, these officials called the children's parents. Some of the parents came and they did deny Christ. However, one widowed believer absolutely refused to deny Jesus when she came up to pick up her two twin sons. The officers threatened her, saying, If you do not deny Jesus, we will not release your sons. And the widow replied, Well, I guess you'll just have to keep them, because without Jesus, there would be no way for me to take care of them. And with no avenues left, the official said, Take your sons and go. Now, I don't know about you, but just like Mel Gibson's film, these courage-filled stories like this, They encourage me to want to stand up for Jesus. I mean, if children can sing Christian songs and praises and refuse to obey these government atheist officials, 
And if that mom can be so bold as to not give in to their political agenda, then I have no excuse and you have no excuse for living righteously here in the United States. The difficulty that we face, there is no comparison. Well, there's a third reason we can rejoice and be glad in the middle of persecution. We can do so because of the eternal reward that awaits us. Look back at our text. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to people who are persecuted for righteousness. In Matthew 5, 12, again, he says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. In other words, we can respond to persecution with joy because we know it won't last for long, but we know that our eternal reward will be eternal. And believe me when I tell you, it will be more than it will do more than compensate for your suffering. Peter Kreeft writes this, suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future and you saw with undutable certainty that despite everything, your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, you could have free for the asking your whole crazy heart's deepest desire, heaven, eternal joy. Would you not return fearless and singing? What can earth do to you if you are guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny, less a scratch on a penny. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So if you are suffering for the right reasons, ladies and gentlemen, count yourself fortunate because it means that you are on the right side. Be glad because God might use your your bold response to direct someone to the cross of Jesus. Rejoice. Because when you get to heaven, you will be glad you did. In fact, I don't think we'll be there for about two minutes before we start saying like, why didn't I stand up more? Why didn't I make my life count for more than I did? What exactly was I afraid of? Listen, friends, these these beatitudes that we have studied, they're not easy to live out. It's not easy always being Christ-like. And perhaps that's our problem. We've made the Christian life way too painless. Much too often, we take the broad and the painless path, but the results of that make us miss out on God's tremendous blessings. Let me read Matthew 5, 10 through 12 again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know about you, but I desire the great reward in heaven that Jesus is talking about here. I have found that the things of this world tend to blind us to the glories of heaven. We actually start to believe that all the things that are available to us in this incredibly beautiful world that God has given us is all that there is. It's as good as it gets. But 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Eye has not seen, 
nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Our reward in heaven will be like nothing that we have ever seen on this earth. It will literally blow us away. So when you take heat for your faith, when you are persecuted for righteousness, when you are marginalized because of what you believe and who you believe in, understand that this temporary form of persecution won't last, but it will come to define you. And honestly, I cannot think of a better way to be defined than to be known as someone who is aligned with the Lord Jesus Christ. So where your criticism and your persecution and your injustice that comes to you by being a Christian as a badge of courage and rest in his peace that passes all understanding. And remember, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Will you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this sermon from Jesus, the most powerful one ever given. I thank you for the principles that have been established for the life of a believer. Father, you want so much for us to live like you lived, and that's a big order for us to fill, but you've also given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us the ability um, to, to live in a way that brings glory and honor to you. But when doing so, Father, we are persecuted, and sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's hurtful. But every time I get those feelings, I always think of you hanging on that cross and the abuse and the torture and the lies and everything that puts you up there, all of the sin of mankind, and, and yet you endured. And by enduring, you allowed me, Father, to live a new kind of a life. You allowed salvation to come and you cleansed me of my sin and you gave me a promise of eternity with you. And I'm thankful for that. And Father, I pray that if there had been anybody watching this today who does not know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they've never faced persecution for their faith. Father, I pray that they would reach out to you and ask you to save them, that they would confess their sin to you, that they would truly believe that you are the son of the one true God, that you are the only way to heaven, and that they would turn their lives over to you and they would allow your spirit to direct their paths and that you would give them a new kind of light, life. And yes, Father, they might even be persecuted for that decision. But as we've learned in this scripture, we are blessed when we do receive persecution. And for those, Lord, who, who already know you, maybe who have been walking with you for, for much longer, many, many, many years, I pray that when we talk to others about you, when we share our faith, that we would be passionate, but loving at the same time. That when we speak, we would be bold and yet respectful. That we could learn how to speak the truth in love. And Father, we ask that you would help us to be more like Christ and less like this world. And Father, I ask you to prepare us for the persecution of this world, but also prepare our minds and our hearts for the glories that await us in heaven. I guess what I'm asking, Lord, help us to always remember what we have promised to us, even if for a time what we are enduring might be difficult. You've promised us so much. You've promised us eternity in the presence of God Almighty. And that is the greatest gift anyone could ever give us. And so I pray that we will treasure our faith. 
that we would treasure our relationship with you and that we would be willing to take persecution for standing up for those things that are right, just like you did, and in ways that would bring you honor and glory. I thank you for this time together, Lord. I thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you would touch our hearts and lives with it, and most importantly, help us to live by it, as I know that that's your desire. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.